You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This radio program was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. On this show, we talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our blue planet, the ocean. I bring this show to you monthly on KWMR from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Cordell Bank is located just offshore of the KWMR listening radius off the Marin-Sonoma coast and is a thriving area with ocean life above and below the surface. Today, I'm going to bring you um, two pre-recorded pieces. Uh, the first half is going to be the introductory presentations at the first Gulf of the Farallons and Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary Expansion Scoping Meeting held in Bodega Bay on January 24th. Dan Howard and Maria Brown um, and former Congresswoman Lynn Woolsey, Tom Roth, and Sonoma County Supervisor Efren Carrillo all spoke. And after that, after that, we take a quick break. And on the return, we will have an update about the elephant seals and how they're doing this year in Point Reyes. It's the peak of the year for the breeding season. So we'll talk with the Pinniped Program Manager that's been monitoring the elephant seal population out there for years, Dr. Sarah Allen. So thanks for tuning in. This is our show today for Ocean Currents, and we'll be back. You're listening to KWMR. So the National Marine Sanctuary System, we are the trustee for the nation's system of marine protected areas. The sanctuary program was created in 1972 to protect, conserve, and enhance biodiversity, ecological integrity, and cultural legacy of these special places. So basically, we're caretakers for these incredibly uh, important ocean areas. 13 marine sanctuaries around the country, in Hawaii, in American Samoa, and then Papa Hanamokuakea is a marine monument, the northwest, northwestern Hawaiian Islands. So each of these created to protect a biological or culturally significant area, uh, Thunder Bay up in Lake Huron, and the Monitor, which was the very first sanctuary created in 1972, uh, were created specifically to protect uh, cultural resources, um, primarily shipwrecks, and, and to uh, protect maritime, and talk about maritime heritage, the importance of maritime heritage. So in California, we have four existing national marine sanctuaries. Channel Islands and Gulf of Fairlands were created in 1981. Cordell Bank, farthest north designated in 1989, and then the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, uh, created in 1992. So you can see here also on this slide, I think it's the best one uh, this evening to kind of get some perspective um, on the scale of the proposed expansion area, this being Point Arena right here. So this is, this is what we're looking at. Um, in terms of uh, the expansion area. There's also maps that we've posted uh, our on walls in, in both of these rooms. Um, again, there's sanctuary folks around. There's, there's a one-pager with a map on it as well, but um, we're happy to answer any questions, and folks will be around here if you have uh, questions at any time. Here, then, is the proposed expansion area. Representative Lynn Woolsey, who is here tonight. introduced legislation in every Congress since 2004 to expand these sanctuaries to the north. And they've had uh, considerable um, public support, they've had local government support, um, as well as state support, and NOAA as well has supported uh, the legislation that Lynn uh, has introduced. So NOAA is now considering using the, their administrative process to extend the boundaries of these two sanctuaries from Bodega Bay in Sonoma County up to Alder Creek in Mendocino County. And you can see here the, uh, the dark purple is the existing 
Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. Again, it's on the map on the wall there. Dark green is, is Gulf of the Farallons, and the lighter shades of purple and, and green are the proposed expansion areas. The Cordell Bank expansion area would capture the Bodega Canyon, which is just north of it right here. And the Bodega Canyon is a significant seafloor feature that directly provides nutrient input and uh, krill to the ecosystem on Cordell Bank. Because what we see happen here every night is that you get krill and other zooplankton that migrate up out of that canyon. And the prevailing California current sweeps those krill and other zooplankton and whatnot downstream, if you will, and then they, when they descend uh, during the, when daylight, they descend down to the bottom thinking they're going back down into the canyon. In fact, they're trapped uh, on the continental shelf and those kind of critters that like feeding on krill and zooplankton and such have figured that out a long time ago. So um, this, this kind of area right in here is fed by the products coming out of that Bodega Canyon. So, we think of that the canyon is being kind of an integral part of the Cordell Bank ecosystem, and it falls then within the proposed expansion area. The bank itself is a phenomenally productive area. I mean, this is probably one crowd that I can talk to that most people in here have heard about Cordell Bank and know what it's about. In addition to the 30 species of rockfish that are out there, it attracts migratory whales and seabirds from, from all over the world because of the, product, the productivity that's generated out of that point area outgoing center, which is something um, we'll get to in just a minute. So, we'll go for Farallons. All right, now say hello. Hello. <laughs> Good to hear from me briefly, and then I'm going to hand it back to Dan. Uh, here's the Gulf of Farallons National Marine Sanctuary existing as Dan had mentioned, and it was established for seabirds and marine mammals. And the largest concentration of breeding seabirds in the contiguous United States breed and roost right here, as well as 36 species of marine mammals. What we've learned is that, well, there are four major upwelling um, centers in the world, and we happen to be one of them right here. And this upwelling center, where does it start? It starts right offshore of uh, the Point Arena. And it comes down, this water comes down, and it feeds this whole area. So this is a whole system right here. And it supports not only the seabirds here, but the seabird colonies go up the coast, as well as the marine uh, mammals and the, and the harbor seal and um, other pinniped haulouts. So what this expansion does is it protects the whole system. Right now, it's just protecting part of it. And so we have the opportunity to look at protecting the whole thing. So when both Gulf of the Fairlands and Cordell Bank completed their review of their management plan in 2008, there was a action in the management's plan that recommended we facilitate a public process in the next five years to ensure that current boundaries were inclusive of the area's natural resources and ecological qualities. In addition to that, the advisory councils for both Gulf of the Farallons and Cordell Bank have uh, written letters and passed recommendations supporting the legislation that Lynn and Senator Boxer introduced between 2004 and last year. So now a little bit more on, on why this area and how those boundaries were drawn. Initially, when the, the legislation was proposed, there was uh, consultation with physical and biological oceanographers at the Navy Marine Lab and elsewhere who identified kind of this system that Maria was referring to earlier. And NOAA has an upwelling index that they produce for the entire coast of North America, and it is not uncommon at all. In fact, oftentimes, 39 degrees, whoops, Oh, I jumped the gun. Oh, man, they're they on my punch line. Forget you saw that. Um, not uncommon at all to, they, they do it every, every three degrees latitude. So they develop an indices for 39, 36, 33, 30, all the way up to um, Washington. Not uncommon at all to have the upwelling index at 39 degrees north be the highest on the west coast of North America, in North America. So following that logic then, the upwelling index correlates with the amount of cold, nutrient-rich water that is upwelling right next to the coast, right off the of point arena. 
So ARENA is one of the major upwelling regions in the globe. And the fact that there's well, you know, four of these uh, coastal upwelling currents in the world, you could argue that this area coastline is in fact one of the most productive areas uh, on the globe. Again, as Maria said, you can kind of see here this, what we're showing you here, sorry, I should have said this first, was uh, this is a, a satellite image of sea surface temperature. So you can see here that the purple and blue is cold, nine, nine degree water, a little under 50 degrees, so you know, 47, 48 degrees, indicative of freshly upwelled water that's full of nutrients. And as those nutrients are pushed south by the California current, that is what fuels the productivity in this entire section of the coast right here. And it really is a phenomenally productive area, as we all know. That is why we think that this point arena upwelling system is really physically and biologically connected. Okay, now I'll show you the animation. So this, this uh, data, which is actually put together by UC Davis Bodega Marine Laboratory, is an animation of surface currents. So this is real data that's driving this. So if you introduce uh, the block of water up there, this is how that water is going to move over the course. You all can see this down here? Yeah, it's three and a half days. So it takes three and a half days from now, that water moving down south. And you, you can see these arrows are, are vectors. So the, the, bigger and, uh, the bigger they are, the faster the current. And then you can also see direction. This, this runs from July, no, let me see here. June 25th to June, June 27th is about three and a half days. Again, just another example of how that pointering upwelling system feeds all those areas to the south and that this whole Mendocino-Sonoma coast into the sanctuaries um, is a phenomenally productive area fed by that Point Arena Upwelling Center. So that's really the, the driver for all the productivity in this area is that Point Arena Upwelling. So now I will pass the clicker to Maria and the mic and let her run through some of the protections of the programs and uh, how we're going to see this whole thing proceed. So what would a sanctuary offer to this part of the coastline? Um, what additional protections? Well, uh, these are lists of potential. These are the scope of um, sanctuary protections that we see now within Cordell Bank and Gulf of Fairlands. And what um, we're coming out to public comment right now is what we're looking at is taking the whole suite of regulations that are currently in Cordell Bank and Gulf Fairlands and applying them up north to, to, the, to Manchester, Alder Creek area. Also, along with that, is taking the management plans from Cordell Bank and Gulf Fairlands and extending those activities as well up the coast. So in terms of the scope of sanctuary protections that would be offered to this area of coastline would be protection against gas, oil, and mineral development, protection of water quality, protecting of wildlife, and protecting important seafloor habitat. Well, how do we do these? We do it through regulations as well as through programs. So our regulation, common prohibited activity, oil and gas is prohibited, and discharges within the sanctuaries are prohibited. Altering or constructing on the seabed is also prohibited, and placing or abandoning structures is prohibited. Some additional prohibited, prohibited activities in sanctuaries include removing, moving, or injuring historical resources, discharging from outside the sanctuary, a pollutant that enters the sanctuary. And this is often used for oil spills. This is how we claim settlements and are able to restore affected environments. Low level overflight of aircraft in certain zones. It's, it doesn't apply to the entire sanctuary, but certain zones that have been deemed and particularly sensitive to low overflights, um, where seabirds are, are breeding or roosting. Taking, possessing any marine mammal, sea turtle, or seabird. And this includes harassment. This is how we address wildlife disturbance. And deserting a vessel aground at anchor or adrift in the sanctuary, or leaving harmful matter aboard a grounded or deserted vessel. This also helps us address potential marine debris issues as well as water quality issues. Although there are common prohibitions in each sanctuary, there are also exceptions. So for example, disturbing the seabed, there's an exception for fishing that trawling can still occur in the sanctuary. Um, sanctuaries do not 
regulate fisheries. We are not involved in fisheries management. That is our sister agency, the National Marine Fisheries Service. Continue on the scope of regulations. Uh, sanctuary regulations can have prohibitions that apply throughout the entire sanctuary, such as no development of oil and gas. We also have regulations that are specific to a certain area. And an example of that would be we have no anchor zones in eelgrass in Tamales Bay. However, boating is um, allowed everywhere, and we are working right now to allow mooring as well. So sanctuary programs. So that's a suite of the type of regulations that would apply to those areas. And in addition, we offer a lot of programs. They range from research to resource protection. So in terms of research, we engage citizens in, as being citizen scientists, to being the eyes and the ears of the sanctuary, and surveying the coastline, looking for dead wildlife, see if the wildlife is sick, what wildlife is normally in the area, if we have uh, new species, new birds have arrived to the area. It helps us keep um, track of what's going on and what the health of the sanctuary is. We also have offshore um, research activities on board vessels. And this, by knowing the health of the sanctuary, we can then address issues as they come up. We provide um, education programs to give experiences to people, to connect people to the ocean and coast, to help grow the constituents of people who want to protect our coast and can enjoy it. We have advisory councils, in which we mentioned today, um, we have many members here, in which citizens, community members, can become engaged and involved in advising on sanctuary management, where we should go, what regulations we need to develop, what programs we need to have. And then resource protection, to ensure our local coast and ocean is protected against pollution, against wildlife disturbance and destruction to habitat. So that's what we can offer through the sanctuary program. Now how do we get there? Well, we started the process with number one right here, and scoping. So we started scoping, and that's why we're here tonight. And this is an opportunity for us to get comments from you, from the public, on what are the issues that we should be addressing in this area. The management plans that we have now, are they adequate? Do they, obviously, they need to be adjusted to address the issues of the area. How do they need to be adjusted? Are the regulations adequate? Are there, are there regulations that are needed? Are there exceptions that are needed? That's what we're hoping to hear from you tonight, um, is what you think we need to be addressing in our draft proposal. So that's step two. We will take the information gathered from the scoping hearings, our scoping meetings, from our online portal. You can submit comments online, as well as comments can be um, submitted via, via mail um, to our office. We'll take all those comments, analyze the information we've received, and then develop a draft environmental impact statement and a draft management plan for the area. Once that's developed, we'll come and we'll take that, oops, wrong one. We'll take that to the public. So we're gonna come back to you, and that'll be about February 2014, is when we'll, 2014, yep. Oh, draft proposal's out, yeah, November, is when we hope the proposal's out that you get to comment on it, and that we'll have a public review um, going through February, in which you'll have an opportunity to comment on that draft environmental impact statement. See if we got it right. See if we need to make some alterations. And all the comments we receive during this period right here, public comment period, we will bend into categories of subject matters, and we will respond to all those comments. And that will be published here. We publish our decision. We'll publish our response to public comment. We'll publish a final management plan with any um, revisions made to it based on those public comments. We'll publish a revised um, environmental impact statement and a rulemaking if there are any new regulations put in place. And our objective is to get this done in 18 to 24 months. So our goal is to be able to have a final decision by July 2014. So, as I mentioned, the purpose of public scoping is to gather information and public comments from individuals, organizations, um, government agencies on the Gulf of Fairlands, the Coral Bank, should we adjust our boundaries further north, what those boundaries should look like. We have a, a boundary that we are proposing and help determine the scope of issues that need to be addressed. So, what is the process for tonight? What we're going to do is we're going to split everyone up into groups. So we'll have five tables. Three are going to be in here, 
and then two are going to be in the other room. So if you're not sitting around the table now, either come up to one of the, let's see, we're doing three in here, so we have three tables that are full. So if you're not sitting at a table in here, if you can go into the other room, we'll have um, two tables there, and there will be a facilitator and a note taker from the sanctuary. And we're going to give everyone an opportunity to speak. Everyone will have uh, two minutes to present their comments. It'll be recorded. The facilitator may ask for clarification because we want to make sure we're adequately capturing your thoughts and we understand what you, you want to say to us. Um, and if they're, after we go through, everyone has their two minutes and someone has something additional to say, we'll give you another opportunity um, to make that statement. I just want to also um, iterate that it's... You, if someone has already said what you came here to say, you don't need to say it again. We've captured it. Because we're going to be bending the comments into subject areas we need to address, comments we need to address. So it's not a, a popularity contest. It's the issues that need to be covered. So feel free to say they already stated what I was going to say and give any additional thing to add. And I would like to add this as well. That way we can make sure we can get through everyone's comments tonight. We want to make sure everyone here has a chance to be heard. All right, and so the public comment period um, extends until March 1st. Um, if you do not want to give a verbal comment here tonight and just listen, you can do that and then submit a written comment either on our online portal. And I'm going to leave this up so you can write it down. Um, you can go online, submit it. You can also mail the comments. My office is collecting all the comments, and then we'll be sharing them with Portal Bank, so you can mail them in person. And then if you'd like to if, come and speak uh, at a different public scoping meeting, we have two more, February 12th at the Point Arena High School, and February 13th at the Guala um, Community Center. And both of these meetings are at 6 p.m. as well. And if you want more information or would like to track the expansion effort, you can track it at our website at www.fairlawns.noaa.gov at Manage Northern Area. And you can receive the slideshow will be up. There's other information on the website as well. And before we break into groups, we do have a couple of special guests here tonight that we'd like to give the opportunity to make some statements. And our first guest is Congresswoman Lynn Woolsey. Well, truly, I know why it's honored to be here today. Uh, I have waited so long for this evening. Uh, thank you, Maria. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Noah. Um, I have to confess to you that uh, towards the end of last year into the lame duck session after the election, it almost seemed impossible that we get this far and we were uh, therefore hi I have supervisor Um anyway it seemed like it was impossible to get it was impossible to get through the House and the Senate. And um, so we started the drumbeat, hoping that Noah would be in charge of it, but uh, for a monument. And so much pressure was put on the administration from outside and from within the Congress that uh, they just they said to us, the, "This is the White House speaking." We will take care of it. It can be done using the appropriate process, and we promise you it will happen. So I take all of that, at the, everybody at their word, and knew that was the better way to go with the NOAA process in the first place. But wanted to get it going no matter what. Now, what have we got going? You've heard all of this. Uh, we have expanded the existing. Uh, a sanctuary by over 200 nautical, 2,000 nautical miles. We have uh, expanded it north up into uh, Mendocino County and uh, west out into the Pacific so that in reality it will do what a sanctuary is intended. This expanded sanctuary will ensure that the two sanctuaries that we love, Cornell and, and Golden of Fairlawns, 
will be even further protected. We are protecting our investment when we protect the waters above. Uh, we are also protecting our environment, and we know that, but we are protecting the economy of this area for the people who fish, who depend on our oceans for their living, and for tourism that depends on people coming out looking at our beautiful waters and our beautiful shore and knowing that this is very, very important. Now the thing we made certain was that we had grassroots effort, grassroots roots support. Not once, but twice since, 19, since 2004. We have, uh, my wonderful staff, by the way, Tom Roth is here and Wendy Freifeld. Uh, they aren't my staff anymore, they're my friends now. <laughs> but they made it happen. They got uh, support from almost every uh, city council in the area and uh, certainly the, the county governments, the uh, legislature, the environmentalists, and uh, the chambers of commerce. And uh, we also got the governor this time. He, he said yes. <laughs> that made a difference. Made a difference to the White House. <laughs> so um, that's what we've done. We know that we're it's the right thing. I'm so counting on it. If anything, getting better because of your input and your help. Uh, so many of you in this room are familiar because you've been part of this from the get go from just, you know, the, all we've talked about so often. And what's the main reason we don't want to drill and, for oil and we don't want gas exploration on our coast? And we want to protect our fishing industry and we want to protect uh, our environment. That's it in a nutshell. And uh, NOAA's the perfect organization to do it. And I thank you. And, and this is going to be a good exercise for all of us. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn, for bringing us here today. I would also like to invite Tom Roth, who has was one of the the key people behind the legislation, um, working behind Lynn Woolsey, and um, he's here to make a statement on behalf of State Senator Nora Evans. Thank you. And um, I really want to thank um, Lynn. Last time um, I was in the Dega Bay, uh, we were at the Green uh, Lab. We had a meeting with the new uh, uh, executive director of the Postal Commission. And, uh, you know, it was the 11th hour for this sanctuary. And um, I, I have to uh, admit, I thought that this wasn't going to happen. That, you know, this was going to be put off. We're going to be fighting for 20 more years. And Lynn pulled it out in the end. And I think she really. So I'd like to say something nice about my new boss, too. <laughs> uh, Senator Evans has been a supporter of, the, of National Marine Sanctuaries, and specifically of the expansion of the sanctuary for some time. I think she voted twice in the legislature for the resolution in support of, of, of sanctuaries. Uh, she's written a number of letters. She really has a very special love and interest uh, in this coast. She especially loves uh, a little bit north up here in the Fort Ross area, Fort Ross State Park and her beautiful state parks uh, in those, those areas. Uh, she's also probably the most, um, well, she owns the most ocean real estate of any uh, member of the legislature. Our new district now will extend from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Oregon border. That's about one-third of California's coast. It's pretty amazing. And I think the, the sanctuary itself will probably be about, what, 34% of, of, that, uh, of that area. So she definitely has a real interest, and we also have a very resource-rich uh, district. Uh, you see Zeke Rader is here representing the fishermen. Uh, this is the, the best salmon fishing area as well as the best crab area in California. 
and rockfish and uh, other other types of fish and recreational uh, recreational fishing as well. So this is a very important part of the economy, as well as uh, I think there's something like two billion dollars, two to three billion dollars in, in uh, ocean-related tourism, uh, also very important. So uh, we really do have an interest in protecting this. One thing that you saw in that animation, that wonderful animation, you saw the prevailing California current. You saw how that was this uh, great conveyor belt that carries food down from the north to the south. It also, given the wrong circumstances, such as an oil spill, could carry oil from north to south into this very, the most productive areas of California's coastline. So it's very, very important that we protect that area. So um, I just want to say that this is a, a uh, a great opportunity to move forward for protection. It's also a great opportunity for the state of California, as, as Lynn said, uh, Governor Brown uh, supports this. The legislature uh, has supported uh, this effort uh, and various uh, uh, departments of the uh, resources agency have also supported it. Um, and it one reason is because the National Marine Sanctuary Program provides this wonderful forum to bring people together to talk about ocean protection and to talk about education. And that wasn't mentioned too much, but the Advisory Council is one of those types of organizations that have representatives from federal, state, local agencies, as well as ordinary citizens. So it's a great place to bring people together. So I wish that uh, I'm, I'm very happy that this uh, evening happened tonight, and I look forward to this moving forward. So thank you very much. You're tuned to KWMR 90.5 Point Race Station and 89.9 Bolinas. in a scoping meeting, but uh, I know we'll get there shortly. Uh, first and foremost, I want to welcome uh, NOAA and the National uh, Sanctuaries of, of folks uh, to Vega Bay and to Sonoma County. Uh, we really do cherish uh, our coastline. We cherish our, our, our local environs here. Uh, and the alignment that you see here from the federal, state, and local level, uh, Lynn, you are just too humble uh, in, 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 in your demeanor. Uh, this is a legacy. Uh, this is a legacy uh, that you have worked on your entire uh, uh, time in Congress. This is a legacy that your staff has worked on. This is a legacy that I think you're going to leave uh, for future generations. And I'm just here as a local representative to say thank you uh, to you uh, for really taking that on and never giving up. Uh, and truly, this is really the beginning to, uh, to what uh, July 14th will be, uh, the, the, you know, the true time of, of, of celebration. Uh, we appreciate NOAA. Uh, choosing the Vega Bay uh, to, to, to have a scoping section allowing the residents of Sonoma County to provide input uh, and to provide comments. Uh, the Sonoma County Board of Supervisors, uh, at the request of Congresswoman Woolsey, uh, has uh, each and every year introduced uh, a resolution to support the expansion of the sanctuaries. Uh, and if not for her passion and her demeanor, uh, you probably would have had a unanimous support that each and every year if this request was made by this board. Uh, we have introduced a resolution just about every year and recently introduced one again uh, in January. Uh, th th there is no question that when we're looking at the, uh, providing this large-scale ecosystem management and vital uh, oceanic, uh, uh, oceanic research investments and still allowing, as Lynn commented, uh, recreational shipping, fishing activities to support our local economy. Uh, this is about long-term sustainability and long-term uh, environmental protection and, 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 and economic vitality. Uh, Lynn, for your long years of work and effort to, to protect this vital resource, uh, our local government thanks you. And on behalf of the Board of Supervisors, I really appreciate the opportunity that we have here tonight uh, and recognize that I would like to
Welcome back to Ocean Currents. You've been listening to the introductory presentations at the scoping meeting held on January 24th for the expansion of the Gulf of the Frillins and Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuaries. And there were a couple different speakers there giving their perspective on this on this effort and what it's taken to get here. It was a very exciting, um, positive meeting. And this next part, we're going to hear an update from the field here in Point Reyes. Our beloved elephant seal population is in full action right now out of the Point Reyes headlands. We've reached the peak of the season. So I've got some time with biologist Dr. Sarah Allen, and we'll hear how those seals are doing on this next segment. So stay with us. I'm talking with Sarah Allen, who's the program coordinator for the Pinniped Program, and she has been monitoring the elephant seals here in Point Reyes National Seashore for several years. So Sarah, tell us what's going on with elephant seals in the park this year, 2013. Well, elephant seals are here year-round, but the breeding season begins in December, and it is now the middle of the breeding season. So they're collecting, gathering on numerous beaches throughout Point Reyes, where they're coming on shore. The females arrive, and they give birth within a few days of of arrival, and the males are around fighting and defending their position next to the females. The females are nursing and fasting and and, uh, warbling at their pups, and after 30 days, they leave. How many animals are there in the park right now? When we do our direct counts, they're probably about 1,500 animals, but wow. for the breeding season altogether, it's about 2,500. Wow. Because some animals arrived early and leave midway. Like some animals are females that arrived in December are leaving now after they're weaned their pups, and some animals arrive late. So when you put all those numbers together, it's about 2,500 elephant seals, which is a small colony. It's We're the northernmost breeding colony for northern elephant seals, and this is the smallest colony compared to Ananuevo or San Simeon or the Channel Islands, which is a very large colony, 35,000. And Guadalupe Island off of Mexico was the colony that somewhat reestablished the population. Is that still a breeding colony? Yes, and that that was the seed colony. There was a a little group that was discovered there by the scientists from the Smithsonian in the 1800s, and they think that from less than 100 animals, the current population population, which is over 150,000, grew. And we are the northern edge of that growth right now. So you mentioned that this is one of the smallest populations for northern elephant seals, but it seems to have been expanding within the park. Are they expanding to different beaches in the park? They are expanding to different beaches, uh, but the expansion is not continuous. It is punctuated by storms. So when there are large storms, it moves the females around, so they go to other beaches that would be better for them to raise their pups. This has been a very mild winter, and so there hasn't been any expansion that we've noted this year. But in 1995 and 1998, when there were very large storms associated with El Nino and uh, events, we had a lot more movement, and new colonies were established at, at uh, Chimney Rock and at South Beach. Since then, there's been no excessive um, expansion um, to new sites. All they right. do show up at the Drake's Beach parking lot, though. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Makes it a little bit of a challenge for managing people. Um, and seals. And seals. Now, how about also, a couple of years ago, there was one that was coming up to the Russian River. I'm just, I've been curious if they're exploring new areas up north to to start breeding at? Well, we have, we put tags on weaned pups and been tracking their movements over the past uh, 20 years. And we've seen individuals that were tagged at Point Reyes showing up at not only the Russian River, but all the way up in Alaska. And we even had one individual that showed up in Russia at uh, Medney Island in the Komandorsky Islands. So they regularly travel enormous distances, even when they're a weaned pup. But what was different about that animal at the Russian River is that's where you see animals coming back to molt or rest, which could become another breeding colony. So, as I said, we're the northern edge of the breeding range, but the next colony is always just around the corner. Interesting, interesting. <clears throat> so every year, at least from my time out here in West Marin, there always seems to be some interesting event 
that happens with the elephant seals, whether it be a super high tide event where animals are displaced or um, an animal was once rescued that was in marine debris. Have there been any notable events this year from the elephant seals that are on the beaches? This was an unusual year because it was so mild in January. I don't think there was one storm event during this month. And because of that, there are a lot of very large pups. Uh, there's not been the displacement or the mortality that we usually see uh, on the breeding colonies during the winter because that's when the storms coincide. That's when you see uh, mortality because elephant seal pups can't swim at birth. So if there are large tides or storms, they drown. And that's the most unusual thing that I've noted this year is very mild. I was in shirt sleeves two weeks ago walking on South Beach. It was just amazing weather. Another remarkable thing is because you do see these ambient, these ambient temperatures uh, uh, into the 70s, the animals get overheated. They're used to cold temperatures, and they have a thick blubber layer, so the females are retreating into the water to cool off. Mm. It actually kind of disrupts the whole social structure when you have this mass of females going to the water to cool off. And they don't fight much when they're too hot because it takes a lot of energy to fight. So everything is a little different in their behaviors when it's really warm like that. Wow, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. In terms of visitation, is there a best time of day to visit the elephant seal colony? Like a Chimney Rock, there's a wonderful viewing station, but is the morning good, the afternoon? I mean, I'm just curious if there's any time of day. I think that morning is fun because there are not a lot of people around, and so you you can really see them more closely and have more direct contact with the docents that we have uh, during the weekends and Fridays. But in the afternoon, when it, the, the beach at uh, Chimney Rock is in shadow, the animals are cooler and they're more active. Uh, so you might find that there's more fighting and, and more interactions in the afternoon when it's cooler, uh, but the morning you might find um, more opportunities for uh, seeing them uh, without a lot of people around. Yes. And the, the seashore staff are also continuing to monitor the population, so what are they looking for? Just keeping numbers on counts and looking for different behaviors? Well, we have the Point Reyes uh, Pinniped Monitoring Program documents how many animals are there, and they survey uh, two days a week uh, because the numbers are changing so rapidly. So they'll go out and survey um, all the sites uh, two days a week, and then they look for uh, the number of births uh, that, that are occurring and the number of weaned pups uh, so that they can document not only what the productivity was but what the success of was for productivity. So the number of weaned pups surviving is what you have uh, for that next year for reproduction. Um, they also uh, monitor the effects of high tides, like those king tides, and whether there's uh, drowning of pups. And this is a window into how sea level rise might be affecting elephant seals, because this is the, that transition zone uh, on land and water where a number of species are at risk with sea level rise. Uh, seabird, nesting seabirds and elephant seals are examples of species at risk in that zone. Right. They'll have to move somewhere else. And we also um, are looking for how to protect the colony if it does expand into other areas or prevent it from expanding into some place like the Drake's Beach parking lot. So we try and guide management in the information that we gather on the pinnipeds. So it's February and we're coming to the peak opportunity for seeing the most animals at the headlands or at Chimney Rock? This is the peak. The last week of January, the first week of February is considered the peak. And after that, you're going to see a lot more mating and fighting amongst the males. So it's an exciting time to see that, those sorts of behaviors. We see an interesting strategy at Point Reyes with males that are not trying to defend their position next to the females, but they hang out at South Beach. And when the females come into estrus, when they're ready to breed, which is 30 days after they give birth, this group of males flood the main colony and 
and uh, try and breed with females that are on the verge of leaving. So it's a whole different strategy from defending your position next to the females in this dominance hierarchical breeding system. It's a gang of males that uh, rest and then move over when the females are in estrus. It's uh, interesting to see, which uh, is not what you normally read about in the literature. What's the best source of information for people to keep up to date on the shuttle system on the weekends? You can go to the Point Reyes National Seashore website, and from there, you can find out about the shuttle, which runs on weekends and holidays, but you can go during the weekday, and it's not not running, but a lot of people like the shuttle. I mean, it, it takes a, it gives you the opportunity to look, look around, around and, yeah. and be there, and and on the weekends is when the docents are most likely there who are well informed about what's happening at that place uh, for elephant seals. If you want to learn more about elephant seals in general, just Google uh, northern elephant seals and you'll get information about Ananuevo, San Simeon, and the Channel Islands, which are the, the large colonies that exist in California. And if you have a chance to go down to San Simeon, um, it is an extraordinary breeding colony. It's the fastest growing colony in the state right now. It's growing um, more than 30% per year. Wow. And it uh, is now exceeds Ananuevo in numbers of uh, elephant seal pups. So it's uh, an interesting place, and it's right along Highway 1. I know, so you, you don't can, have to walk very far. <laughs> no, you park and you walk over to the bluff, and there they are. It's really quite extraordinary. I heard that over 100,000 people visited that colony last year uh, right. to observe the elephant seals. Yeah, I know the California State Parks works with the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary yes. to provide docent opportunities down there. So. The sanctuary has a very nice office with wonderful staff down there who are very well informed, and they have volunteer docents not unlike what we have up here. In fact, the model that we developed with our volunteer docents is based on the Ananuevo one and in, in the same for down south. It's a, a great way to protect the elephant seals and protect people people because elephant seals have big mouths with teeth. Yes, they do. <laughs> now, I don't want to forget about the gray whales. How have the, uh, the sightings been of gray whales? Have you heard much about that? I know there isn't a gray whale monitoring effort here at the park, but in terms of sightings out at the lighthouse, have they been seeing gray whales? Gray whales have been observed in high numbers this year, and I think it's more a factor of weather than, than in numbers. Good viewing conditions. Good viewing conditions. Um, they, it's been flat seas a lot, and so you can see that there have not been a lot of storms in January. So there have been a lot of sightings in large groups, too. Uh, so and it'll fall off now because the animals are south in those breeding lagoons and, and in Southern California bite um, giving birth. But in the next month, you'll start seeing the numbers pick up again in March. Uh, as they start returning. Come back north, yeah. Some animals don't go all the way south. They're juveniles, and they're not breeding yet. So you'll always see some animals around here year-round. Uh, but I think that April is a great month to see uh, gray whales because their females are with the calves and they're going north at a very slow rate because the, the calves can't swim very fast and they're swimming very close into shore so they're easy to see and really quite extraordinary all along Drake's Bay and Point Reyes Headlands. Now another interesting fact that uh, you, I know you know about Jenny is this uh, sighting of uh, killer whales right. which is the uh, southern resident Pod. This is the fish-eating group of killer whales from Puget Sound. There was a male that was uh, tagged with a satellite tag in December, and it traveled all the way down to Point Reyes Headlands over the over uh, a week period. And we didn't see it at Point Reyes Headlands because it was down here at night. But uh, people that I know in in Fort Bragg observed this group of killer whales right offshore. In fact, they even took photographs of it. So this was the first really strong documentation of those southern uh, resident killer whales migrating down t to California. They didn't know where they went in the winter. They just knew they dispersed. Oh, and now they actually know that they come down to California. Now, and they is... thought that they were feeding on salmon off of Fort Bragg. Ah. At the time that they came down to Point Reyes, they uh, just visited and then turned around. There was a big herring run. Um, and the runs are still going on now. And that might attract salmon, which would attract killer whales. But this is the fish-eating killer whales. So they went by Point Reyes. Lots of elephant seals. They're not interested in elephant seals. I know. I think that's an interesting interesting point in terms of orcas and that some of them are fish eaters and some of them are mammal eaters. When do they 
determine in terms of their age, their growth, if they're going to be a mammal-eating orca or a fish-eating orca. Well, it, they know because of the community their pain, their that pod. they their pod that they're associated with, and this is from um, decades of studying these these different uh, groups of killer whales. They're likely to distinguish these two as separate species because they are so different. In fact, there are three ecotypes that are recognized in the eastern Pacific. There's an offshore killer whale that's a fish-eating one. They eat sharks and, and likely other fish, maybe tuna. Uh, and then the, there's the southern resident, which is, eats salmon primarily. And then the mammal-eating killer whales, which are, uh, occur all throughout the, uh, the nearshore Pacific and definitely eat mammals. They may eat fish too, but uh, they are uh, recognized as uh, mammal-eating killer whales. Exciting. Well, there's always something to see out at Point Reyes, so it's a wonderful place to explore the ocean. It's a wonderful place, especially in the wintertime. It's it's the best time of year for seeing because it's clear weather in between storms, and it's actually warm. It's not foggy and cold. Uh, It's a great time to, to go out there. Great. Well, thanks for your time today, Sarah. Thank you, Jenny. been listening to Ocean Currents, and we just were listening to hear about the peak elephant seal season out here at Point Reyes. If you haven't been out at, Ch- out at Chimney Rock yet, to check them out. It's a great time to go check them out. They're so cool to see. But thanks for tuning in today to Ocean Currents. Uh, I host this show the first Monday of every month, and it's part of the Westburn Matter series, where every Monday at 1, you can tune into KWMR to learn about a topic of environmental focus. Um, I have a podcast. You can go to iTunes and search for Ocean Currents or go to our website, cordellbank.noaa.gov, to get all the past episodes. Just click under the education link and you'll see all the radio shows there. Thanks again for tuning in today to Ocean Currents. You're listening to KWMR. Thanks again. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marin Community Radio, KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov.